I'm John. I'm Paul. I'm George. And I play the drums. From Pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network, it's Get Back to the Beatles with Chachi LaPrette. And Chachi's co-host, Beatles instructor at Suffolk University, David Galan. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Get Back to the Beatles. I am your Beatley host, Chachi LaPrette. Welcome to the Boston Podcast Network, pod617.com, and whatever uh, uh, social media platform you're listening to. We're on iHeart. We're on iTunes and Spotify. We're everywhere. And it's our show that talks about everything Beatles. And uh, if you don't know me, I have a show in Boston for over 25 years called Breakfast with the Beatles on WUMB in Boston. And on 92.1 and 97.1 in New Hampshire and Maine. And I'm here with our co-host, Professor David Gallant, who teaches the Beatles class at Suffolk University in Boston. Hello, David. Hello, Chachi. As always, it is always a pleasure. And this is such an exciting night for me. It is exciting. We're brought to you in part by Subaru of New England, Direct Tire and Auto Service, and Ringo Stars coming to the Wang Center on June 10th, 2020. Also behind mic number three, we have David Yaz, a spiritual leader and uh, producer. Cheers, Chach. As usual, a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. We have a very special guest today. I've known him personally for about 10 years or so since the Sports Hub began on Boston Radio over 10 years ago. And whenever we saw each other in the halls, we were more apt to talk about Beatles than sports. And he writes for the Boston Globe. And let's go over some of his Wikipedia page things that says, maybe there's a mistake here. He can... He can correct us if that's the case. He was born July 20th. I won't give the year. Now, I was born on, on July 19th, so we're like a day apart. Chacha, I was born on July 9th. I don't know. If, I don't know if we're all the same sign. I'm cancer. I'm cancer. Yeah. Uh, there you go. And uh, <laughs> I agree. And, you guys are all cancer. Yes. Uh, he's been covering uh, sports, the Red Sox, the Patriots for the Globe since, what, 81, which was the year I started at WBCN. In 2016, he won the J. G. Taylor Award for the baseball by the Baseball Hall of Fame. Let's see what else it says here. Born in Groton, he's not a fisherman. He's a journalist, <laughs> an author, a columnist, TV personality, radio guy, and he's legend in this area in Boston and New England and across the country. Because my in-laws live in in uh, Florida, and they read his column. We have the great Dan Shaughnessy on the phone. Wow, we're excited. Hi, Dan. Hey, Chach, how you doing? Uh, we're doing great, and I introduced you before we opened the mics to Professor Gallant, and, and I introduced you to David Yaz. Now, David was telling us before we opened the mics for our program today that like 15, 20 years ago, you sent a letter to Dan Shaughnessy. I did. And he called you just like he called he, Professor Gallant. He probably called me that, Dan, you won't remember, this is 1993, I got out of law school, immediately had a career crisis, decided I want to be a writer instead of a lawyer, sent you a letter with some pathetic samples of my writing, and just asked for any advice. You must have called me the day you got the letter. You were, you, uh, it was, I was so blown away that you were so accessible and so kind to call. Of course, you immediately uh, told me that I should, I, you couldn't be more discouraging about the job market for writers. Right. <laughs> But uh, then at the end of the call, I said, I actually just got a job offer from Lawyers Weekly. It's the trade media, but it kind of makes sense. I went to law school, and I was there for 15 years. So thank you, Dan. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, so- that's that, that's consistent. And I'm very discouraging with all those folks who write in, like, find something else. It's just like, uh, yeah. don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Well, listen, we are all thrilled and honored that you took the time to be on our program. And I'm sure listeners are saying, well, gee. It's a uh, it's a Beatles podcast. Why do you have a sports writer? Well, when I uh, when I brought up actually Professor Gallant brought up the idea because I don't know if you know this Dan, but he follows you so much 
and he talks about you in his Beatles class, and he sent me pages of references within your sports articles where you reference the Beatles. And so I said, yeah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he, he fired off those at me today, and I, I just I thumbed through them before coming on with you, and it was, you know, I don't remember a lot of them, but it's all, that that's me, that's consistent, and it's nothing, uh, not surprised that there were as many as there were, I just, I've forgotten so many of them, and, yeah, it, and David had researched pretty far back. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, uh, Dan, I, <clears throat> I was wondering, actually, if, when it is sort of uh, tossed back your way, um, if it did hit you in any surprising way, but I guess it didn't, that you know consistently it's a, it's a go-to source, as I kind of explained to, to explain things in the world. And, but it, does it sort of amaze you how many times you go to that well? It does. And, I, again, I, I write a lot, and, uh, and I try to it, – it's harder as you get older uh, to be current. And, you know, I don't apologize for that. But, you know, for the one thing about the Beatles, I think, is, is they're universal and young people are up to speed because of their parents and because the, the stuff is so timeless. And, you know, I'm about words, and there's a lot of great lyrics there. There's great rhythm and, and great history and nostalgia and memories and, and connections. So anything you can do to have that connective tissue, be it music or, or politics or art or history, you know, I'm always about that because I try to stay away from the X's and O's and the real deep, deep strategy of sports and just make it more personal and and. Write it. My wife knows nothing about sports. I try and write it so she could get something out of it, and, uh, and that, that's that's why you get so much of those those references and culture stuff in well, there. I, I I love that uh, the phrase. If you're going to look at it, you know, anatomically, connective tissue is is fantastic because, you know, it, there is uh, sometimes you know you're 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 writing historically when you're referencing the Beatles. Yet it is still current, and since it is so current. It is currency, right? So it's a way of exchange of knowledge. And not all of my students are are sports fans, even though our campus, if you know anything about Suffolk, is located right in the middle of right. the city. And I've and I've lost a few class last academic year. I lost classes both in the fall and the spring semester because of victory parades, and we had to cancel classes because <laughs> kids couldn't cross the street to Tremont Street. So, uh, <laughs> so they live it, you know. And a lot of students come to Boston and want to be in the middle of it. And plenty of them are are sports fans. Uh, they're not all always newspaper readers, and I, I kind of like to right. get them involved in that type of uh, uh, old-school analysis of narrative like that. And it's a way to sort of demonstrate how the Beatles are used outside of just their songs and everything that they might know about. So I kind of asked them to look for instances of Beatle references that aren't really stories about the Beatles, but the way they are used. And you're an incredible... Uh, consistent source like that and i had done a few things over the years where i said well look for this or look for this and they found it in some other writers and and i've shown them some other sources and then when this podcast started i think a little over a year ago um when you wrote the article before this baseball season and referenced Andrew Benintendi as the George of the outfield. I said, all right, that's it. <laughs> that, that was, that, that was the tipping point. I said, we've got to have him on Chachi. You don't understand. Chachi's like, I'm not a sports guy, but you're a Beatles guy. So it was a, it's a perfect blend of, of two of my great passions, you know, was uh, along with my, with, with my wife and my many children as Chachi's met them all um, are, you know, new England sports and, uh, and the Beatles. And it's a, 
it's sort of a great way to uh, uh, to link them the way that you know you always bring them into uh, into the news. And yeah, I, I appreciate that. It, it, it's really it's very real for me. And thumbing through, you know, I've forgotten a lot of the things that I have used over the years. And Ben Attendee one's pretty fresh, but you know, you referenced that Hall of Fame uh, uh, citation a couple of years ago. I was in Cooperstown. You you give a speech at the Hall of Fame on that award, and you and the Hall of Famers are all sitting behind you, like Willie Mays and and Brooks Robinson and Juan Marichal. It's very intimidating to give a speech because you know they don't want to hear from the writer. <laughs> and uh, But I wanted to have an homage to them because of their greatness. That's what really what fans care about is the ballplayers and the great ballplayers. And and it was it, it just came naturally. Like The people in the Hall of Fame, like they're a small club, very exclusive club. And, right. and I, I, I saw it today, and it was like, I said they're like, they're like the Beatles and men who walked on the moon. Right. They only, only they know what that is like. There's only four guys who know what it was like to be in the Beatles. It, yeah. And, and the guys who walked on the moon. And I think Hall of Famers fall into that category. You know, and it's funny because when you saw the Hall of Famers and the way they interacted with each other, I, you know, I love the Beatle reference, but I couldn't help also loving the section where you talk about the courtesy van ride from the hotel and, you know, Griffey talking and swearing a blue streak, but you know, in Eddie Murray being nice to you. I mean, it was, it was incredible, right? So that was an experience unlike any other. Yeah. Yeah. And he, you know, he probably hugged you from both sides since he was a switch hitter. And that's what I press upon my students that it's amazing at that level of fame that they, you know, lasted as long as they did. And it didn't sort of, you know, cave in on them because I think as uh, Pete Townsend once said, you know, rock and roll is a very uh, dangerous profession for the practitioner. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) <laughs> well, I stole it from Pete Townsend, but feel free to use it. <laughs> but, but Dan, which came first for you? Was it the Beatles or sports? What was your first love? So it's, it's sports all the way, and, and I'm the youngest of five kids. But I, So in 64, when, when it all happened here, I was uh, in the fourth grade, and I had a, a sister in the sixth grade. So she's right in the wheelhouse for you know sixth grade girl in Massachusetts. She actually... Um, she got tickets. I think it was $7 for the, the concert at the garden. Wow. Oh, good go. for her. Very daring. Uh, yeah. She, she got there and, and, um, she couldn't take was, her, she I couldn't take believe- her little brother. Oh my God. And I was kind of pushing back on it cause I was a sports guy and I wasn't really into it, but it was a lot of it in my face because they were so popular and I had a teenage sister and, uh, so it was all around me. And as I grew into my, my, you know, high school years, just the music really did take hold of me with the the later works. I mean, everybody when you're that age, it, it, it just it just was so dominant. And uh, yeah, I got into it right away. And then being someone who loves words and and the lyrics and the rhythms, it just it stayed with me. And and you know, I've read a lot of the literature and love to take your class because it sounds like good stuff. You are you are more than welcome. And as I mentioned, it would be an honor. And I I, I also had uh, reference that uh, we are the alma mater of uh, Nick Cafardo. Uh, yeah. who would come back to campus uh, quite often and be very generous with his time with our uh, journalism department and the high school awards uh, banquet that they would hold. Um, nice. Now, two years after your sister went, you know, the Beatles come back to Suffolk Downs. Did you lobby to go to that show? No, I was not. Of, I was busy playing ball, and I, okay. I, wasn't, I wasn't a diehard, you know, and I cheated. She was lucky she got to go once. It was amazing. <laughs> we never went anywhere. Unbelievable. <laughs> and what's your, what's your favorite Beatle album? Well, I would be on uh, the, the Abbey Road side, you know, I okay. mean, the, the continuous side with all the snippets, you know, um, I, I think that would be it for me. So, uh, you know, that, you know, that obviously comes out in 69, but it occurred to me 
with some of the other references that are, if we could sort of, if, if I was going to cluster them within certain themes, that the the madness or the mania that took hold of the city in 67 is being you know enacted almost parallel with the summer of love and so was that when sort of the the music really and the sports kind of blended together for you well that was i mean i was in high school then uh, that was the bridge between eighth and ninth grade for me and uh it was just a, such a large event as a sports fan as a red sox fan i you know I didn't know winning. I didn't know anything above 500. They were always bad when I was a little kid. You know, lose 100, finish 8th or ninth, And uh, so all of a sudden, they're relevant, and they're in a pennant race, and it was just off the charts. And I, I realized, that, you know, Sergeant Pepper, all, all that was going on, and that was all wonderful. But I didn't, I didn't twin them. It was, it was all baseball at that time for me, and I was, I was totally immersed in the Red Sox in 67. Wow. And did, when did you realize you wanted to be a sports writer? You know, that was lucky. Uh, like with a lot of things, young people, you can't be expected to know early. But, you know, I was, a, I was a player. I had older siblings who were really good players. I was an average player, but I was on the high school varsity teams. And, and I was very immersed in it. Uh, and I also liked to read it and, and dabble in writing about it. So I was writing for the high school paper, which wasn't much. And then the town paper when I was on the teams in high school. And then when I went to Holy Cross, I took up with the the student paper there and was very uh engaged in that but i spent most of my time up there working on that and, and then the globe was nearby peter gammons from my hometown and peter's a you know he's a total rockologist sure, as well yeah, and yeah and so that was great inspiration to have the guy covering the red sox who was from my hometown my older brother knew him and uh, he was helpful to me to get to do stringing stuff for the globe and do holy cross play in syracuse and football and things like that they would allow me to to write stuff and i started to come in and work there in the summer as a part-timer and and uh, stayed with it well you know what i was thinking on the way here today i'm i was thinking the two most polarizing jobs in new england would have to be a weatherman a weather person <laughs> and a sports writer you need a thick skin yeah. to be a sports writer oh, in this town how do you deal with that yeah, people have really strong opinions. I mean, it's the good and the bad, and I, I take all the good because that's why we get to write books and appear on other shows and just kind of expand your brand and, and you make more money than you, than the average newspaper guy because of the passion and the smart readers we have and how the great the teams are. So, I I mean, I accept it. I'm not a fan of, uh, you know, anonymous stuff. There's just so much of that now with, with the Internet and the blogging and the comments and, and you know, like, killed the president and all the stuff that, that's on there but i um I, I i accept it and uh my feeling is it's not like politics or religion or taxation or things that really do affect people's lives this is sports you and i can disagree about manny ramirez or tom brady and it doesn't make anybody a bad guy we should be able to do that and and still be pleasant with one another and, and have fun with it so that's what i do i understand some people don't like it but you know, don't love these guys more than your own families, you know, and, and just, just let it go and, and don't uh, personalize the, the opinions of sports because it's really just it's en entertainment. Well, let me ask you this. When do you recall when you got your first criticism and did it really hurt you? <laughs> was that in high school? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I was ripping myself in high school because I, I missed a couple free throws at the game and I, was, I had a pseudonym, so... I ripped Shaughnessy in, in the column because I choked on the free throw line. So that was, uh, that was a little meta, meta criticism there. But uh, I, I'd say, you know, at, at Holy Cross, you know, some, you know the, the athletic director would be hacked off if they didn't like the way you were presenting the football team and the basketball team. So 
Yeah, you'd get it from the administration right right out of the gate. And <laughs> I accepted that. Nobody likes to be criticized. I understand that. Yeah, uh, talk to my students after they get some papers back. Uh, they they, they all expect gold stars on their foreheads because they've, <laughs> uh, they've been brought up with the participation trophies, and uh, I try That's to cure right. them of that pretty quickly. Um, <clears throat> I, I like your you know bringing it back to earth in terms of your profession and what you do, and I hope I'm not quoting the wrong source, but was it Eddie Andelman who said that, that the sports was the toy department uh, that we all get to play in? Uh, in terms of uh, broadcasting you know, the, and coverage. We, we would say that at the Globe. I, I, it could be. Bud Collins talked like that a lot. Yeah. Um, well, they're all uh, kind of of that Brian same. Brian Gammons, yeah. Ray yeah. Fitzgerald. We had a lot of great, great uh, talents. And, but I remember that from the time I got into it. And Eddie, Eddie certainly could have been the author of that. So um, speaking of Ryan, and I'm going to get to a question for you via him. Uh, I remember in print he was very proud to say, and he couldn't explain it, but there were things he was talking about, maybe in one of those uh, columns like emptying the sports desk drawer of the mind or yeah. picking up pieces while doing something. Um, he said, oh, I, there are some things that are inexplicable. Like, I think things we said today is the best Beatles song. Don't ask me why. That's just why. So then my question is, what's your favorite Beatles song? Now, I know you've already referenced, that's like asking Paul McCartney what his favorite Beatles song yeah. is. You know, Tom Brady, what game is he going to show Vivian when she's older? Do you have right. one? It's interesting. I, I, I don't remember Bob writing that, but I know that um, one of my best friends growing up in the business who were the same age as Leslie Visser, who was mm-hmm. you know on TV all those years, and, and she's in the Football Hall of Fame for her sideline work. And you, and you, CBS, like, her, and, and you like her even though she's a BC Eagle? Yeah, and, and <laughs> she's a totally, she could do this show with you and, and do much better than myself. She's, she knows everything about the Beatles and is, is the perfect age and all that. But her favorite song is, is uh, Things We Said Today. Huh. And uh, that's why I, I'm struck by that, because that, we've, she and I spent a day just speaking in, in Beatles lyrics, like in the 70s. We, <laughs> I think we were, at a, we were at a pool in West Roxbury. We were being like grownups and, and, um, and we, that's how we did the day. It was just you had to talk to each other and stuff that was that was of that's great. Of, of, I of, love of the that. lyrics, and <laughs> we did that one day. So yeah, uh, you know, I kind of um, <laughs> I'm a little boring with this. I mean, uh, I just a lot of it's sentimentality and, and, and what was going on in my life. But I'm kind of a hey Jude guy, and I know that's a little a little too too large and and, and broad for the for the answer. But I think I think that's it. No, that's a good answer. Yeah, it's a, it's a good answer, and it's a, it's a song that fits uh, uh, certain moments that you might need to go back to. You just make sure that with that memory, you've got at least seven and a half minutes at your disposal. Uh, I know. Well, I used to, I was on the cross-country team that year. It was, a lot of good things were happening in my life at that time, sophomore year of high school, and I have great memories because, for me, it came out in the fall. I, I couldn't tell you that. But you know, I think the Ed Sullivan show and all that, I feel like it was the fall, and uh, it just took over, and you know, we had a record player, and you know, revolution was the other side. And, but yep. I remember I was a very slow, poor uh, cross country runner. And that was the song I had in my head. And it's a very <laughs> slow kind of pedantic beat there. That, so it's, it's not of sprinting. Uh, you don't sprint to that. You, you, you plod along. And that's what I did. Dan, do you still do a mile a day? I do. It's, it's, we call it, jogging now it's really slow and <laughs> pathetic so hey jude hey jude would be too fast for the pace right, right. you know the, the was, kids walking to school are blasting by me and it's, it's embarrassing it was one of the my uh, one of my favorite columns that you wrote was that it was dan wrote a whole column just about how he, d- he does a mile a day and yeah. uh, and he's he's not yeah. he's not a hero for doing it but he does a mile a day 
I, yeah, I admire that. 1983. It's like the Cal Ripken Jr. Of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, Dan, are you surprised to hear that Professor Gallant uh, is so informed about your Beatle references? Uh, has anyone else in uh, readers no, have said? No. Nobody else has no, said, hey, people, I love that you mentioned the Beatles. Yeah, people pick it out, and uh, you know, I'll do it with Springsteen or Bob Seger or whatever kind of. It just, I just have one of those. I retain a lot in my head, and you'll be writing along and something will just kind of pour down from your head through your fingertips like this this is where this plugs in and it happens with with their stuff a lot and you know and i was looking at the ones you cited it was entertaining and i, I remembered a couple one of them predates that but you know they had the i covered the celtics for four years every day i wrote two books with them and it was during the larry's heyday in the 80s but they had a team with with you know two guys from one song being for the benefit of mr kite yeah, they had Greg Kite and Jerry Henderson, and the Hendersons are in the song also. Yeah. So they, you know, two of the 12 players were in the lyrics of, of one, one Beatles song, which was amazing. And, um, and there was no one else had ever heard of the last name Mr. Kite until Greg yeah. Kite was drafted out of Brigham Young in, I think, 83 or 84. And um, there was another one that was more current, but I did this with Belichick. Um, you know, when he started that it is what it is thing, you know, which is, it's, it's kind of like a, transcendental Thoreau kind of thing. <laughs> and, um, and it just reminded me of, I am the walrus, you know, it's like, I am you as he is, whatever, however that carries right, on. Right. But it's, it's, it is what it is would fit right into that. And I, yeah. I used the, I, yeah. I totally, you know, in that one, I just said, sometimes when you're quoting the, Be- the Beatles, you don't have to say as the Beatles wrote or as Lennon McCartney said, it's just, you just, put it out there and you're not really ripping it off it's, everyone understands what you're doing right right, right. and i think yeah. i did that i think i did that with it is what it is and i am the walrus and i think bill actually noted that i think bill enjoyed that you know because he's of the age where you know that means something to him. Yeah, he's he's of the age we have to pull him off that uh yeah. bon jovi podium a bit though and uh get him back to uh oh absolutely uh, classic Beatles. Yeah. yeah being for the benefit of mr kite but don't pass him the ball all right that was the <laughs> that was the frightening thing about uh <clears throat> about old Greg. No, I, I noticed too the the one that I uh, uh, coughed up for your benefit um, from uh, uh, from the uh, the middle of the summer of 2013 in that that Red Sox run calling up uh, Bogarts, where you did a Springsteen and a Beatles within like five lines of each other. Right? I've seen Red Sox future, and its name is Xander Bogarts. Um, coughing the uh, the John Landau piece about uh, Springsteen was it Time Magazine where he made that statement? Yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then uh, agent, yeah. yeah, and so uh, uh, you know the, the Beatles debut on Ed Sullivan. We're talking about Bogart's finally getting called up, and I thought of that one in relation to, which I thought was both a challenging and a spot on opinion about Mookie Betts, that um, he's he's a bit overrated, and you kind of implied in the article the real Red Sox future to hold on to are people like Devers and Bogarts, right? And then I th- I look at this piece from 2013, I said, well, there it is. There's the line, right, that goes right through it. So that is the yeah, Red I Sox feel, future. I mean, yeah, Mookie's, you know, Mookie's, we know how great he is. Sure. And I just feel Xander gets a little bit overlooked. And I the one you cited there, from th- I had forgotten that. I don't remember writing that. But when I read it, I'm like, yeah, I would write that. That that makes sense, but I I don't have much recollection of of, of uh, piecing that one together. But yeah, he's he he doesn't get enough love around here. Xander Bogarts, man. No, I mean everyone said, well, you know, in a few years he'll be X, Y, and Z, and now it's the few years, and he's exactly yeah. what uh, what we thought. And uh, so, um, yeah, no, I found it. Uh, I find that you know my students. I don't know whether they have had the same experience as. 
your children. How many children do you have? I have three adult children in their 30s. And so were they, they were obviously groomed on this music. Uh, willingly, unwillingly, were you able to sort of listen to some of what they offered? I've had this dynamic with my kids uh, over the years. We have quite a, a, an age range of our four daughters, but they've, uh, they've all been happily indoctrinated. I don't know how your kids took it. Well, they really came to it very easily. And, of course, when they're six and seven, they have no choice. You just got it on <laughs> with the old CDs. And like, so they, but they did, they did like it. And I think for, for children, I mean, even like uh, you say it's your birthday. I mean, every little kid likes that. You know, six-year-old girl's birthday party, they're all dancing around to the birthday right, song. Right. It's, it's just it works for them. And uh, I had a very, very personal one, which is it's, it has a happy ending, but it sounds sad to uh, our daughter, Kate, who's got three sons of her own now. But... Kate had leukemia when she was eight, and, and she was really into the Beatles. And we had the old uh, the Sony Walkman. You'd, you'd have the headphones on and mm-hmm. a little the little player in your hand. And um, you know, with a lot of her treatments and therapy, she, she had two years of, of uh, really heavy-duty uh, treatment. We were at Children's the whole time. And, and um, But I remember um, where he says um, he, he comes across the girls um, cheating on him, and he's, he's walking outside the house, and he sees No uh, reply. Thank you. No reply. And um, <laughs> but in that, in you know, that was that was on the playlist that she had. It was, it was like a we pieced together a bunch of different songs. But and she would sing a lot of it. And when they have the headphones on, but she would be having these really hardcore treatments. And in that, the lyric that you don't think of in that is, is I I could have died. You know, you're saying that as you're singing it out loud. It was very um, it was very uh, hard to uh, to listen to her sing that while she was undergoing treatment when she was unaware that we could all hear her, yeah. you know, with that. And it was just, and of course, you know, the happy ending was children's hospital took good care of her, but uh, uh, no great. reply. Yeah. Then part of the lyric of that, then I, I never forget that when I hear that sign out, I do love that side. Is that Beatles 65? That is it's, correct. It's, it's Beatles 65. Yeah. And, uh, and I could tell though, that you had become maybe a bit of a fan. Like we all did once the Beatles hit the uh, compact disc of the Parlophone uh, British issues. Cause you mentioned their, recording of Kansas City on Beatles for Sale, which is kind of purely a, <laughs> wow. uh, an English parlophone yeah. phenomenon. And then we started to rethink uh, Beatles song sequences based upon what uh, we were getting on CD. But yeah, that is Beatles 65, and its its counterpart is is Beatles for Sale in a lot of ways Correct. in England. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a strong album side, that that side. I've, I like that one side that it's on. You know, Chachi's a big fan of that album, and it often gets it often gets underplayed and kind of plowed under as that transition from uh, uh, Hard Day's Night and yep. before you get to Help, you know, and then Rubber Soul, yep. because you know they're touring, they're really too busy to create a lot, and they've got some weird old covers. After they had sort mm-hmm. of advanced to cover Motown and rhythm and blues, they went back to some Chuck Berry and some other mm-hmm. older stuff. So it's it's kind of a quirky piece. Um, you know, I was curious as well. Uh, I don't know if you had a chance to see the film yesterday, this summer when it came out. I did. I and, did. Yeah, and I was, uh, you know, yeah. think of, uh, I, I wondered what your thoughts would be, just the whole premise of the film that, you know, a guy is trying to explain the Beatles to a world that doesn't understand, you know, to a world that needs things like help for pain and uh, yeah. uh, solace yeah. through through pain and troubles, right? I don't know what you thought of that film. Oh, it was... It was an inter- I mean, it was like a one joke, you know, they, they made a whole movie out of it, you know, kind of a one joke movie. And, and I, I love the concept and they never really thoroughly explain it, but you do you just buy into it. It's like E.T. or something. So right. you know, <laughs> right. we did that. And then, and then, you know, when they, when they bring out the, the, the two people that actually know the work and, and right. they're these 
people come from the past and and the whole thing. I thought the visiting John was a little odd. You know, that was kind of a, a weird. I wasn't crazy about that. It didn't really. It's a left turn. It's a, it's a, it's, yeah, it's a part of the film where I think even the the hardcore fans were a little bit sort of unwilling yeah. to follow. I mean, that I thought was okay, but you know, the most unbelievable or ridiculous premise for me is that uh, this guy wasn't into this girl all of his life who was you know yeah. she was cinderella for crying out loud no in kidding. the movies that's right, right. <laughs> but yeah one of the references um you actually mentioned yoko ono i well, thought that was great several times and, uh, and eugene landy and brian wilson yeah yeah alex guerrero yeah. i mean that's like someone else got to yoko first but eugene was mine and uh because i'm I really follow the the Brian Wilson thing pretty closely, and and um, I'm such a fan of, of his work and just, yeah. just just how troubled he became, what he went through, and so anyway. But yeah, the, the notion of this Bengali character, you know, kind of upset the apple cart for everybody else, and 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 I really I think that Tom's his his devotion to this guy is way over the top, and I do see it as as a I think the guy's corrupt and and not not good for Tom, and I think it'll end badly, but. That's just me. I could be wrong, and it's certainly working for Tom to this point. But yeah, I think I think Rob Bradford was the somebody, maybe uh, Greg Bedard. Uh, you, you, somebody you did mention you, you did mention Bedard, yeah, and um, I had to credit that, yeah, yeah. The uh, the odd thing, not the odd thing about it, but the way that history plays out, and even what they mentioned themselves. Uh, is you know, in my own personal opinion, and my my students, if they learn some things from their parents. Yoko herself has become a sign and symbol beyond who she is as a person of the one that upsets the apple cart, right? No pun intended. And, uh, uh, to be the Yoko of anything is, uh, is, is kind of tricky, but you know, history shows that. And I think this plays out in nice parallel fashion with the Patriots that the only people who were going to break up the Beatles were the Beatles themselves. You know, uh, Lennon had said how, you know, in his own way in the early 70s, I think he was on with Mike Douglas or Dick Cavett. How can one woman break up four strong ego driven men? Mm-hmm. You know, right. and if, um, you know, if Giselle wasn't going to do it, certainly Alex Guerrero's not going to do it. I mean, the problems with that troika up there are going to be, you know, whatever yeah. internecine battles are there between Tom and Brady or Mr. Kraft or. Um, age itself, right, and just the process of time that it might inevitably sure. fall apart. But they will have had by the end of it more than double the run that the Beatles did. So, <laughs> so. Okay. can Imagine. I jump in, yeah. fellas? Uh, Dan, I got a question for you. Just to jump back a few minutes to the film yesterday. Just, this is—I don't expect you to have a brilliant answer because it's a weird question. But is there a sports equivalent to the theme of the movie yesterday? Is there a sports figure that if that person or maybe a group of people didn't exist? that you and you woke up one day life would be completely different yeah it's sort of the you know the it's the whole butterfly effect and i i know we've um i mean one is this isn't really exactly what you're asking but one would like the alex rodriguez uh, trade when they actually acquired him <laughs> yeah before the 04 season and if you just if you just like pretend that that actually did happen like how things would have changed like every moving forward and there's been like a 30 for 30 done on that just because yeah. it actually did happen yeah. and then it was it was rescinded and and just all the uh you know nomar probably goes to third base and just the, all the different things that, that would have uh would have come with that and gone on with that just how it would have changed the the future but so anytime there's an event uh, you know the if, if if the tuck rule play isn't called you know it's a big uh, one you have a dynasty built on a lie you know a rule that was changed and was you know is no longer <laughs> a rule 
<laughs> but in that moment, it it, it did, and it, it, nine Super Bowls later, we're still, you know, glowing and all these good things. So it's it's more for me. That's more like a, an event that that doesn't happen, and how that would change everything. But I, beyond that, I don't have anything. Uh, no, it's always good for that. It's fun to think about in the snow game. Of course, you you left out Brian Cox uh, stuffing that Oakland runner on third and one. If he hadn't made that play, we might still. But at the, well, yeah, and, and you know, Mo, Mo Lewis taking out Drew Bledsoe. Oh yeah, you know, I mean, you know that's that's you know, the one right everything. there. Yeah, that's the big one. I always uh, screw that up. I always say Errol Garner, the uh, the the jazz musician, but it's Carwell Garner who was stuffed, uh, who didn't was? Make, who didn't make wow. the first down for uh, for Oakland. Yeah, and they um, kicked. Yeah, but uh, so I guess those are more sex. Those are sexier versions of the what if than the um, uh, Raleigh Fingers, Joe Rudy Salbando. Yeah, <laughs> that was that, the uh, kibosh put on by. Uh, oh my God, why am I forgetting? Uh, Bowie Kuhn. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I remember. I, I was working at the Globe in the office that night, and I've talked to Fingers about it because they were, you know, they put the uniform on and yeah. were out there, and, and he wasn't called into the game, but they were in Sox uniforms. Rudy really later came to the Sox, you know, the, but uh, famous, Fingers was a uh, Hall of Famer who was in uniform. It was, wasn't called upon. Famous cartoon sketch in Sports Illustrated shortly after where they had them in sort of cartoon figures changing the socks and everything like that, you know, that they were in the uniform mm. and they changed back into Oakland uniforms. But what, the, yeah, what it was made, weird because the socks were in town, so they just ran down the corridor. <laughs> the clubhouse were right there. Your example is the best, Dan, because it was just delicious irony in the fact that the, with the A-Rod thing, we presumed we were, we were going to win the championship on the backs of Alex Rodriguez and Nomar yeah. and Maglior Donias was rumored to be coming as right. part of the deal, remember that? But the, the, yep. what, what's so delicious is to look back and realize that it would have been bad. It would have been bad. And, and then, you know, the Valentine's Day massacre, maybe you came up with that when A-Rod instead goes to the Yankees, the ultimate indignity. Yes. Yeah. All right. It was February, that was me. It was February 14th. Yeah, that happened. Yeah, well, the... Uh, I guess a parallel Beatles what if, you know, beyond what the film yesterday gives us. I point this out to my students. Very, It's not that it's an unknown fact in Beatle life, and if you've read some of the books, this sort of fact of, of, of British post-war history is kind of key, that in, in 1959, I think, they abolished required compulsory national service, or what we might consider like military service or the draft. Yeah. So as they are getting out of their high school years and kicking around and before they got to Hamburg, um, that is done away with. Otherwise, they would have all had to have been <laughs> away for a year or two, and we would never have had, you know, the Beatles in, in a lot of That's ways. pretty that, good. Never knew that. What if? Um, I, I guess I, you know, I wanted to, to tell you something and, and bring this, uh, not so much full circle, but maybe in a, in a way that I always wanted to bring this up to you. And I thought, geez, I wonder if he ever wrote a piece where, he actually compared the Boston franchises to each Beatle. And I wonder if that actually happened. And it's one of the earliest segments that I found, right? I think it's from 06. And so we were having some fun with it uh, before we called you. And uh, that's where you had mentioned, you know, when the, the turning tide, this is well before what we have now, but the turning tide where, like when I was a kid, you know, I was a kid in the glory days of of the roller rinks being converted to ice rinks because of Bobby Orr and the Bruins. And we, I played more hockey, street hockey and ice hockey than baseball because you could play street hockey all year round. And that was the height of the big bad Bruins. And, and I love the Celtics and even the pre 80 Celtics. Everyone forgets about those seventies teams that won championships. That was really my childhood with basketball. Sure. And, uh, 
But then you talk about the turning tide that, well, we're a baseball town still, but the Patriots are catching up, and, and the Sox and Patriots are like John and Paul, and the Celtics are George, and the, and the Bruins are Ringo. <laughs> now, in, in today's world, you know, 13 years later, I guess I would still ascribe George to the Celtics, especially this team that is, you know, underdog, scrappy, but has these moments of brilliance, and goodness knows they could, they could go very far this year, right? And then, you know... Ringo and the Bruins, that loyal working class following. I mean, Ringo of all of them was the one who was pure Liverpool working class from the underclass in Liverpool, really. Right. Um, yet, in a lot of ways, everybody's favorite. Uh, you mentioned that he would get the, the leftover groupies. <laughs> he himself says that, well, John got the intellectuals, Paul the teeny boppers, George the mystics, and I got the babies and grandmas, you know. Um, but you put, you know, the Sox, John, and the Patriots, Paul. Would you still hold to that, or were you just putting them equal? And when I when they think of Lennon McCartney as that almost brand, um, we know that they had those great moments through 64, 65 of almost total collaboration. And then there was the feuding and the bitching back and forth. And is there a little that between the Sox and the Patriots in some ways? Yeah. Would you still have John as the Sox and Paul as the Patriots, or does it matter? Since they're sort of well, I mean, I, I think you know, in terms of popularity, the Patriots are number one by a lot right now. I mean, baseball never goes out of out of fashion around here, but I mean, and they those two are always one and two, two and one. But yeah, I mean, so I don't know how you want to rank your Beatles, but the the <laughs> Patriots would be number one now, and, and the Patriots and Sox would be John and Paul or Paul and John, however you want to do it. Still, mm-hmm. that that to me is is still holding the George. I just think. Yeah, the Bruins have, you know, get a little more respect than Ringo at this stage of things. You know, they they were in the finals of the Stanley Cup last year. It is still a, a little bit of a niche sport. Um, it's the same very devout people that fill the garden every night. But um, but they are, I would say, they are larger than, than Ringo uh, at this point now. There's a good Ringo with um, uh, Casey Jones. They're like the same. And again, not to disrespect Ringo or Casey, but Casey Jones is one of the most decorated players in the history of, of sports. He was an Olympic champion uh, and NBA champion like eight times. But he's he's always standing there when the rings are being handed out, but he's not exactly the guy who's the, the reason for it. Right. And his teammate, of course, was Bill Russell. And uh, so Casey is one of the, one of the luckier uh, men of all time because he was great, but he wasn't great commensurate with, with everything that came to him. But so he uh, was our he was our Ringo. But then you would have Russell, who would often say, "I could never have done what I did without Casey Jones." You know, I mean, <laughs> well, just, I would dispute that. It's very yeah, humble well, of him, but <laughs> it is it is humble. But you know, you you gave yeah. a couple of these with the 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 Tito and Theo thing about maybe maybe Theo's related to Brian Epstein, and uh, uh, but you know, Brian had famously said, "Well, the Beatles are are." are, you know, four composites of the same being with John the head and Paul the heart, George the soul, and Ringo the flesh and blood. And I think it was um, uh, Sean Lennon who said, well, they're like a car. You need all four wheels, right, to make it go. Like so, it. But um, uh, so you would, you know, there is that feuding that goes on. And I think what happens when people do these rankings, even of the sports team or of their favorite Beatle, um, it changes over time, right? I mean, there's the whole oh, sure. Britpop movement from the mid-90s, and maybe some of your kids were into Oasis or Blur back in the day, and they would say, oh, George is our biggest musical influence, you know, of, of all the Beatles. Wow. And just like Sgt. Pepper, would, Rolling Stone would have it, the number one album 
for about 20 years in their rankings, and then all of a sudden Revolver becomes the number one album, right? right? Because tastes change. It's like, you know, Jim Rice didn't go back and hit more home runs. You know, the rest of the world right. caught up with him because of relative comparisons of steroid era and everything like that. But um, uh, so I, I did find that, that you did rank all the four teams and, you know, was looking for a little bit of a uh, of Pete an Best. There. What about Pete Best? He well, you know, it, is there a <laughs> is the revolution? There, is Boston there, Braves, perhaps? Uh, yeah, the revolution. I don't know. Yeah, if there's a sports equivalent for uh, for good old Pete, right? Uh, Boston Breakers. How about the Boston Breakers? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I would have to go with uh, you know one of someone who you know the Boston Redskins were a football team here. Oh. You know, they became the Washington Redskins. So. Yeah, or wow. the Boston, or yeah. the Boston Braves, the who are still in existence, yeah. right? But they right. Uh, right. they were they they couldn't compete and they they left, right? Did you ever see a Beatle in concert, Dan, a solo Beatle, since you didn't see them as a group? I saw Paul at Fenway, ah. and, um, and uh, that's, that's it. And, you know, he was, it was funny, at, at the Super Bowl, when the Patriots won the first one in New Orleans, you know, that was after the towers fell, and uh, so the game was in Feb 02, mm-hmm. and um, uh, there was no week off between, because the season had been post, you know, like put back a little bit after the towers, and so Paul was... Uh, you know, he sang his, his new song, Freedom, which was dedicated to the event. Mm. Um, and uh, But the halftime was U2. So Paul was basically like the warm-up act uh, <laughs> pregame. I, I was, he sang Freedom. He may have done the anthem, I don't know. But uh, he was just out there briefly before. So I got to see him there. But uh, that's that's it. I've not, um, but he did, not, uh, not seen I, any, any... I haven't seen Ringo in person. I think he did headline a halftime show either in a in a two Super Bowls after because I remember he was on uh, shortly after with uh, with the uh, uh, the broadcast crew and and Terry Bradshaw was singing Hard Day's Night to him or something like oh, that goodness. yeah yeah exactly yes, he did that yes that's <laughs> exactly. yeah, I'm always jealous because I, I know I was always jealous of Chach with that poster <laughs> in the office or he's with Paul there and because I've never I mean, I've never met that he's the person I most in most in the world I wanted to meet my whole life. Yeah, I'm blessed. I I met him a bunch of times, had dinner with him. Yeah. Great guy, Ringo and George too, but yeah, I had a giant poster in uh, in my office uh, professor sure of me and uh, Paul and I. Dan, um, I don't mean to bring everybody down, but do you have memories of Howard Cosell informing the nation about uh, Lennon being killed? Yeah, so I was in um, uh, Toronto at the baseball meetings, you know, it was Monday night obviously and um, I was watching the game because the Patriots were playing the Dolphins, and you know, I was, I was Boston guy, so the Patriots were on TV, so watching it, and and yeah, I mean, I heard it in real time, and um, I called my sister, my sister Ann, who's the one who went to the concert. You know, I just had to had to kind of talk to her, and um, and my friend Stan Grossfeld, the great photographer, was was in New York City, and uh, he drove to the site, and he he, he got he got shots of of the scene you know at the dakota and all that i know stan said that i think the last like the radio station they had on went right to jungle land you know after that was announced and um but yeah that was just a just a very very unforgettable horrible night well you talk about the the sports media being the toy department of the world and all that and and you know Cosell, I thought, did a, a nice job. I thought he was the right guy yeah. to be there. But it's it's always sort of poignant moments. I remember Bob Lee of uh, ESPN just kind of taking over the show and during the World Series when the earthquake hit in San Francisco and did a fantastic job. I thought, and it's uh, it, but it does bring everybody back to Earth to realize we're watching well, a, we're watching a game here, right? 
I was in that earthquake, and of course, any time I'd be at Candlestick, I was writing about the last Beatles concert in '66 because that's the one thing, you know, the the memory I had of of Candlestick being a special place, and of course. Uh, sitting in the upper deck when all that happened was, was, was a seismic moment, literally. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that several times, sort of uh, uh, the, the, the end of the public performance of the Beatles, which they didn't really, no one really knew at the time that that was going to be yeah. the last concert. Mm-hmm. Um, a quick circle back to uh, Cosell, and it really was that, I mean, everybody I knew was watching the game because at that time it was really rare for the Patriots to be on Monday night football. And it was, it was good reason, right? The the, the game was in Miami, which is one of the reasons why it could be on, right? Because they had banned it from, from Foxborough. I remember that uh, John Smith was lining up for a kick. I believe it was John Smith. Um, yeah, it was a bad snapper, so the ball squirted out. It was like <laughs> a, a, a butchered play. There's a lot of outtakes from that, or what happened in the commercial break, and Cosell didn't yeah. want to go on with it. And it was uh, it was Meredith who said, Howard, you got to do this. This is going to shake up the world. You've mm-hmm. got to do this. He says, all right, all right, I'll do it after this break. Okay. <laughs> and then he comes back to uh, to announce it, and he, and, he, and he says it perfectly. You know, it just... Uh, yep. The way he delivered, and that. John was on previously sure with Howard at, uh, and Ronald Reagan. Right, on the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, so you know, I, I don't want to keep you forever, but we could go on forever. Yes, we could. But <laughs> so, so Dan, for the listeners who want to watch you or read, of course, you're in the Boston Globe and you do radio. Where, who do you appear with nowadays? So there's uh, from our old our old sports hub there ninety eight five the sports hub I I do with uh, Beetle and Zoe usually do Thursdays eleven to one oh, you know yes. most weeks I love uh, those guys and, in the uh, sports hub they're very very yeah. nice guys I love them they're yeah, great they're, they're great guys yes it's a fun crew and I I work with Joe Amarcino on Sunday night sports extra sometimes on Thank that you. and you know and I'm in the Globe That's many right. times a week and, mm-hmm. and those are. Those are sort of the last. You said uh, he's on with Beetle. It all comes around, guys. He works with <laughs> yeah, a guy. With he works with a guy named Beetle. <laughs> do you ever? Uh, do you ever make any any Nesson appearances? No, I'm sort of uh, I'm sort of barred from them. They oh, we hate f- each other. Yeah. Nesson, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was talking to Chachi about this amongst uh, sort of uh, Boston sports uh, broadcasters and figures and their affection for the Beatles. Jerry Remy himself is a huge Beatles fan. Uh, Got to be talks yeah. about it all the time, and uh, I also go back and show my students the. Um, uh, the old, uh, Hard Day's Night opening uh, ripoff featuring uh, Gary Tangway and Greg Dickerson. Yeah, when they're that was running, well done. And that was very well done. And I and the students are a little bit surprised because they're running down the overhead at North Station when the trains were still elevated. Uh, <laughs> and the students are like, what is that? I said, Perfect, oh, right? that's the old elevated yeah, green line, kids. Yeah, and then they see them. They see them running across the Esplanade and everything. After I've shown them twenty other sort of versions or homages to the uh, opening of a hard day's night. And I even think uh, Steve Buckley is in that video chasing them mm. at a certain <laughs> well, point. Well, you know, the, um, you know, Dr. Charles Steinberg, who you must know well, but I mean, yeah. when the Red Sox won in 04, they, you know, when they put out the video, they, the, the cassette was, was off a rip off of Sergeant Peppers. They have all the Red Sox, you know, lined up. Right. You know, and all the all the characters, you know, broadcasters and TV personalities. And I think I'm in it and Buck's in it and, you know, all of our we're up there like 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 Joe Lewis and the and the Sergeant Pepper. Well, that's that's uh that's what is um ha- it's been the mainstay of um uh, uh pardon the interruption, uh the the uh, the set behind right. uh, them is is always yep. been just a rotating cast of Sergeant Pepper, mm-hmm. um and I and you know what I didn't bring this other one out but I think it was a column of yours, uh and it might have been 
uh, I don't think it was 03. It could have been 04. Um, and you mentioned that uh, in still in their cleats, Derek Lowe and some others were running to the baseball tavern or who's on first. And you said it was like a scene out of a hard day's night because people were chasing. Oh, them. Do you right. recall that one? I that. I, I sort of I know that happened. And yeah. The players went to the bar and they were they served it. Uh, but it they, sounds like something I would have written, but I can't remember. It sounds, you know? it sounds very Derek Lowe, like he and Millard, He was still in cleats oh running God, across yeah. the. <laughs> isn't this, a, yeah. isn't this yeah. amazing how the professor knows all of your Beatle references? I think that's amazing. David. Well, you know, no, it was fun yeah. scrolling through those today. Yeah, what happens is it's just a matter of again, like I said, having those kids all those years and somehow finding myself yeah. up that early on a Sunday yeah. morning and this is my alone time. Even when I was. Uh, in uh, my second stint in grad school down in URI, I'd get my Boston Globe and go sit on the seawall in Narragansett and read the sports pages. <laughs> I remember a Yogi. bunch of years ago, John Henry came to go on the air with Felger. Oh, my God, yeah. I forget why, but as he was leaving, we rode up on the elevator together, and he told me he was a huge Beatles fan. And I didn't yeah, even I hope realize he didn't that. mention my name. No. Yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> but he, no he, he, had a, he had a band called the Elijah Fields when he was uh, right he never graduated from college, but when he was finishing college, he, he was, yeah, he was a musician. Wow. And, uh, weird, weird to picture, but that was his first passion. So are, are you mentioning then that I shouldn't sort of uh, um, uh, use you or my very tenuous never. connection here to try and convince uh, Mr. Henry to um, uh, uh, fund a study no. tour for my students where we do a Boston-Liverpool comparison, Aerosmith and <laughs> no, the Beatles, the Red Sox and Liverpool should, FC, yeah. and we can do a – because Liverpool Hope University – um, offers yeah. a master's in popular culture in the Beatles. And a great idea. Go for it. Just don't mention me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how far it's going to go. Should I talk to Linda first? Maybe she'd be a little bit yeah. hipper when it comes to this. No. More yeah, inappropriate yeah, she'd me. probably go for that. But okay. now the whole Liverpool thing, they're, they're wild about it. So I think yeah. you might get some get some traction there well yes. i mean you know what you've got the uh the 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 liverpool fc stadium in fenway park all these great sort of connections i can see sort of those yeah. sort of parallel liverpool boston columns coming out of you sometime you mm -hmm. know <laughs> i know i wish i knew more about the soccer entity because i know they're really they're really wild about it does well and yeah. i just i just don't understand the sport i don't know what yeah. they're up to yeah. although i guess what we've been told is that if if they were only weren't into uh, English football that much, but that McCartney would have been an Everton fan because his dad was. That's the other Liverpool okay. team. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Dan, listen, we cannot thank you enough for agreeing to come on our little podcast here. And I know I was very excited to have you on, and certainly Professor uh, David and David Yaz, our producer, they were like totally psyched that you agreed to come on. And as you can hear, the Hey Jude in the background, your favorite Beatles song. So. Dan, thank you so, so much for coming on and talking Beatles and sports with us. We really appreciate this it. This was a blast. Really enjoyed it. Likewise. Thanks and so much, Dan. Awesome. Thank you, and, I, care, and, and I hope we pass the audition. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Okay, Dan, you I take care, that. buddy. Bye-bye. See you later. Bye. Wow. Okay. How was that, guys? You enjoy that, David? Yeah. You know, I, I didn't get to the... Um, to the one reference where he doesn't mention the Beatles at all, but it's a clear Beatle reference, and it's actually the most recent one where he's talking about uh, uh, Kyrie Irving, former Celtic, having been a sports villain, and how he ranks among sports villains, and he says that he's he's a number one, top of the heap, cream of the crop. He's the toppermost of the poppermost. Ah, you forgot that one. And, I had and, it here you know, too. He must have done a little bit of deep reading to understand and know the reference, right? Yes. That, which is kind of a, yeah. a deeper reference of 
John's rallying, very, very deep rallying and cry. You I, know, I love it. Yeah, Shaughnessy yeah. prides himself on turns of phrases like that. And I, when I was a writer, I modeled myself off a lot. He used to write things like, uh, "Do you remember the skier Peekaboo Street?" Oh yeah. And so he wrote a column about her, and he said, "What a name." And then he would in one the entire paragraph was one word. It said peekaboo, and it was in ital- in italics. And <laughs> and it's like you can hear him saying it peekaboo, and just so to, the the way he would turn a phrase like that, and that that deep pull. He mentioned when we were talking to him that sometimes you don't have to say it's the Beatles because people know. But that one he was that going one, he was going clever Beatles. That's a, yeah. It was it was a little wink and a nod to Beatles fans. That's yeah, what yeah. that was. There's exactly. a little there's you know you got buried in there. You got you know whatever New York New York. You got Sinatra in there. Um, uh, uh, a number one, top of the heap, cream of the crop. And then he gets the capo uh, tutti uh, uh, copy. <laughs> you, know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so he's throwing that in there yeah. as well uh, of our enemies list, right? Master classman of misanthropes. That's, mm-hmm. that's a little bit deeper as well. Well, gentlemen, what a great podcast. Thank you, uh, David Yaz, our producer and spiritual leader, for helping My out pleasure. today. I know you were excited. Fun. And yeah. certainly, Professor Galan, you were. Very happy to have Mr. Shaughnessy on, and so was I, because I love Dan, and I've known him for a bunch of years, and I think he's a great guy. So, everybody, thank you all for tuning in to Get Back to the Beatles. We're here in the Boston Podcast Network, pod617.com, and, of course, whichever uh, pod uh, uh, thing that Wherever you're hearing Wherever you find it on. your podcast, yeah, you'll that's, find that's Get how Back you say to the Beatles. It. That's why he's the producer. <laughs> Wherever you find our podcast, iHeart, uh, Spots, uh, Spotify, iTunes, so and on, congratulations to you, gentlemen. 15,000 downloads. Well, isn't that How about fantastic? that? Yeah. They love you. you. They really love you. That's right. And we're brought to you by Subaru of New England and Direct Tire and Auto Service. And remember, Ringo Starr coming to Boston June 10th, 2020 at the Bach Center Wang Theater. And he's doing a bunch of New England appearances, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, and he's on tour. It could be his final tour. You know, he's getting a little bit older and a little bit slower. And uh, he just put out his album, and he has been saying that this is potentially his last album. So come on and see Ringo. I know, Professor, you might be there with students. Are you going to get some budget from the school from Suffolk? Yeah, I hope so. That okay. That is in June, which means it's after the school year. Okay. But I'll certainly take some to... Uh uh, other Beatle events uh, yes. around town. Uh, oh, do that, please. Yes. Okay, everybody. Professor uh, Gallant, thank you. David, yes, thank you. And thank you to you, all of our listeners of our podcast. It's Chachi. Thank you for listening to Get Back to the Beatles. See you next time. Bye. Make sure to check for the latest episode of Get Back to the Beatles with Chachi Lepret at pod617.com. The Boston Podcast Network.